Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the Gospel reading. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. It appears that in the Gospel reading, Jesus goes into squirrel, 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 squirrel mode. It appears that uh, Jesus has a short attention span. I mean, in ten verses, Jesus fires these topics at us that don't seem to go together. Stumbling blocks? Mustard seeds? Unworthy servants? Oh my. Well, we have to remember this as Jesus, and there's always method to his madness. He's all about order. And so we know there's rhyme and reason here. So what is it that ties these topics together? What's the key to this gospel reading? It is, it is, it is forgiveness. There I said it. Forgiveness. <laughs> that can be a touchy subject, can it? Mm-hmm. It can be. And uh, we got to talk about it because uh, Jesus talks about it. Now, dear friends, as we tackle this gospel reading, we can break it up into three parts, okay, to, to really tie it all together. Forgiveness seems impossible, but with faith in JC, we have the confidence to do the impossible because God's forgiven servants forgive. Up front, I'm going to tell you, we are going to be comforted by Jesus today. We will be encouraged by Jesus today, but it's, it's, it's going to be a slow start. Actually, quite a rocky start, <laughs> as, as you probably picked up on with the gospel reading. Forgiveness seems downright impossible, and Jesus doesn't make it optional. Now, throughout uh, the last several weeks in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been talking with, chit-chatting it up with the spiritual hoity-toities, the uh, religious big shots. You know, the guys that are running religion, the guys who are running the synagogues and the temple, and they've made it a big business to put up these walls, trying to keep certain individuals out. And we heard about that the last several weeks in the Gospel readings. Tax collectors and sinners, the prodigals, the Lazaruses, the dirtied, defiled, the damned. The uh, spiritual hoity-toities, they stand at uh, the door of the synagogue, the door of the temple, with their, with their arms crossed like this. Yeah, just like this. And they tell these folks... Scram! No God for you! They're building barrier after barrier, keeping folks away from God. The very folks who actually need God. Well, Jesus doesn't want any of his followers to get a big head. 
and think that they can ever, ever, ever be misled. So, today, Jesus aims his words at his followers, his entourage, his posse. That's a, uh, that's a, you and me, right? Yeah. The Luke 17 sermon from JC, we're the target. And this sermon catches our attention ASAP. Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus pulls the pin and tosses the grenade. An explosive woe! W-O-E, woe! This is the only woe in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus lobs in the midst of his entourage, his posse, his people, his followers. I know, I know, I know. If you do a word search, you'll find a couple of woes served at the Last Supper, but those woes are just for the twelve, that inner circle. This woe in the Gospel reading is for all Christians, every Christian, in the church below, the church militant, the church here on earth. Now, woe in OT parlance uh, means goner. Goner. So, uh, what is Jesus warning us about this morning? What hellacious hot water does Jesus want us never to go near? Hmm? Now, you heard Jesus talk about temptations to sin. Bad translation. Really, what Jesus is saying is stumbling blocks. That is the word picture today, stumbling blocks. That is what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't want any of us to be a stumbling block to a little faither, tripping up another Christian, causing a brother or sister in Christ to biff it. Woe to that bloke who is a blockhead and breaks another believer. It would be better for that person to have a millstone hung around his neck and hurled in the sea from the boat deck. Uh, mafia style, anyone? <laughs> Tony Soprano, anyone? Woo! Dear friends, we get what Jesus is saying. Loud and clear. Don't be a stumbling block. But here's where we need to ask the good old Lutheran question, what does this mean? What does it even mean to be a stumbling block? Thankfully, our Lord Jesus, the Christ, tells us straight up how we can be stumbling blocks to one another. Luke 17, 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. The stumbling block business is all about holding forgiveness hostage, putting forgiveness behind bars, never letting forgiveness see the light of day. Jesus this morning wants each of us to, to take you know, a good hard look at the person in the mirror and ask the question, have I been unforgiving? 
Have I held grudges? Have I held forgiveness hostage? One of the greatest opportunities for the devil to wreak havoc in a congregation is when a fellow brother, a fellow sister in Christ, fails, flails, falls. We can get all judgy, judgy, looking down on that person, distancing ourselves from that person, thinking that person is just so below us, someone we shouldn't associate, associate with ever. No, that's what the devil wants. And it's so destructive. Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't want us to boo that Christian, but rather to woo that Christian. After all, we're all the same. All of us broken sinners. Every single one of us a work in progress. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) We all have, like, construction tape around us, right? (laughs) No one here has it all together. So when that fellow Christian sins, our hearts are drawn to that person. We want to show that person compassion and love. We go to that individual with a huge, ginormous dose of humility saying, We're siblings. I love you. We're the same. Each of us sinner. And I care enough about you right now to tell you that the road that you are on is downright damnably dangerous. Repent. Turn from your sin. Let it go. Give it all to Jesus. Dump it on him. He has so much better for you. The absolute best. Abundant joy in life. In grace. If that fellow Christian pulls a prodigal, puts the pig pen behind him, and plunges himself into the merciful arms of our Heavenly Father, we, we, we forgive. I forgive you all for Jesus' sake. Speak it. Say it. This congregation, I would love it if everyone in Auburn knew us as the forgiveness place. When someone apologizes, no more of this, oh, it's okay. It's okay. We're good. Say, I forgive you. Let's practice that, shall we? Say it with me. I forgive you. There you go. There you go. There you go. Now, it's one thing when... A fellow Christian is tangled up in his or her personal sin. It's a whole other thing when that Christian sins against me. Sins against you. It gets personal, real personal, real fast. Luke 17, 4. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent. You must forgive him. Now here's where we can easily get into the uh, stumbling block business. When a fellow Christian keeps committing the same sin against us and saying, I'm sorry. We can become more and more cold and calloused. 
It doesn't get easier for us to forgive, but actually harder for us to forgive. We think that person should know better. In fact, that person should be actually getting better. That was the last straw. Next time, I'm not going to be as forgiving. When that person says, I'm sorry, I repent, I turn from my sin, mm -mm, mm -mm. that person has reached the limit. Limit! Limit! Who said anything about a forgiveness limit? Did our Lord? Nope. As often as a person repents, says he or she is sorry, even for the same sin, especially for the same sin, we, 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 we forgive. We forgive. Folks, there is no forgiveness ceiling. Not at all. Not at all. Forgiveness is not optional. It's a must. No exception clauses. They don't exist. No surprise, then, the apostles cry out for help. They cry out for bigger, better faith. But uh, surprise, surprise, faith in J.C., no matter the size, gives us the confidence to forgive everybody. The apostles are picking up what Jesus is putting down. He doesn't stutter. He says, forgive over and over and over and over again. This crushing burden, it's a crushing burden, this command. It's impossible to them. They don't think they have what it takes. And so they cry out for help. Luke 17, 6. And the Lord said, excuse me, Luke 17, 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, Jesus, please supersize us. Supersize our faith. Jesus, he declines their request, though. He says, no. Why? Because they already have the faith that's necessary to do, to do, to do the impossible. Luke 17, 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The size of one's faith is not a problem to God. We're the ones that make it a problem. We really screw a lot of things up, don't we? We make things way too complicated. We humans think that faith has like a volume knob. High, low, big, little, strong, weak. Faith doesn't have a volume knob. You heard the OT Old Testament reading from Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by his faith. There's the Lutheran Reformation in a nutshell, eh? The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous, that is those made right with God, live by faith. Faith alone saves. Notice no mention of faith's size. 
None of that. Size doesn't matter when it comes to faith. Period. So we don't play the comparisons game when it, when it comes to faith. Oh, my faith is bigger than your faith. No, 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 you're such a loser. Blah. We don't do that. We don't do that at all. Where there's faith, there's L-I-F-E life. Period. Life today. Not in the future. T today. Life today. Life that's enough. Life that's complete and whole and perfect, lacking nothing. Life that endures forever. Life that faces setbacks, sicknesses, sufferings, diagnosis, cemeteries, with the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Alleluia! The righteous live by faith. That's you and me. You know what this means, dear friends. We are not just surviving. We are thriving. That is Jesus' point with the mulberry tree. The teeny tiniest faith can do the impossible. A mustard seed-sized faith can command foliage to be uprooted and chucked into the Atlantic Ocean. How? 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 Because of the capital O object of our faith, the object of our faith is, is, say it, say it, say it, Jesus. There we go. Because of Jesus. Faith takes hold of, grips, grabs Jesus and all of his death-defeating, Satan-stomping, grave-gobbling muscle power. Your faith is enough because your Jesus is enough. Think about what Jesus has done for us. He is not in the uh, stumbling block business. But the rock-removing business, the millstone of sin that should have been hung around our necks for our grudges, for our holding forgiveness hostage one too many times, he took from us and put around his neck and took the plunge in the deep of death. He did this not waiting for us to make the first move because uh, we wouldn't make the first move. We actually couldn't make the first move. Jesus forgave us before we could even repent, before we could even say, I'm sorry, before we could even apologize. Jesus, on the cross, let forgiveness fly, let absolution fly for all people, for all time. Luke 23, 34, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus has cast that huge, ginormous rock, the Mount Everest of humanity's self-centeredness, idolatry, greed, pride, all that you know, separated us from God. He chucked all of that into the depths of his grave. There is now nothing that separates us from God. God and man. Nothing separates God and man. 
All because of the God-man Jesus who reconciled man to God in his crucified flesh. So now the angel's hymn that was sung over Bethlehem, over those scaredy-cat shepherds, is true. Here's the reality, folks. Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Don't forfeit this peace. Don't turn your back on this peace. Don't overlook this peace. There is now no sin that's impossible to forgive. There's no sin that is impossible to forgive. This um, rock-removing business continues, dear friends, in and through the church. Jesus says so on that first Easter, Luke 24, verses 40, 46 and 47. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. The rock-removing business has made it all the way, all the way, all the way to Auburn, Michigan. And we have all been baptized into this rock-removing business. All of us. All of us baptized into this most important work, the Lord's most important work. So, so now there's no reason for us to ever be timid or tepid when it comes to forgiveness. We've got confidence to forgive because we've got the power. We've got the power. God's muscle power. We now can do the impossible, dear friends. Knowing, knowing who we are helps us to remember what we are to do, namely God's unworthy servants who are forgiven. And therefore, and therefore, and therefore, forgive. Now this parable that wraps up the gospel reading, it is such a motivator, but it comes across <laughs> as a deflator. At least it did for me when I first read it. Verses 7 through 10. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Some common sense here from Judge uh, Jesus. Uh, servants, uh, they do the master's bidding, expecting no reward or recognition, no pat on the back. Everyone doesn't get a trophy. Gold stickers for everyone. No, 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 no. The servant does the servants work, expecting really not much from the master. Well, we're servants. 
That's who we are. We're servants. Not just uh, anyone's servants, though. In the waters of holy baptism, the letters J-E-S-U-S, Jesus, were written on your head, your heart, my head, my heart. We are servants of Master Jesus. We don't deserve to be his servant. We don't even deserve to do the Master's work. We are unworthy. Now let that word, unworthy, sink in for a bit. That word, unworthy, is actually filled with gospelly good news. That word, unworthy, means that we are all here at grace by, by, by grace. It's all a gift. Master Jesus has forgiven each and every one of us without any merit or worthiness in us, releasing us from the lost curse and condemnation, releasing us from all of our sins that deserve death, damnation, and hell, releasing us from our alienation from God forever. We are now at home with Master Jesus. He has welcomed each and every one of us into his house, and if you don't believe me in a few moments, I mean, you'll be up here at his table, whining and dining with him, whining and dining on him. He has welcomed us into his house, and he gives us meaningful work to do. We are co-workers with Master Jesus. He brings us into the family business. The family business? You know the family business. The rock-removing business. Dear friends, there is no sin too big, no sin too heavy, no sin too large. May this congregation, GLC, never be known as the congregation that throws stones at one another. May this congregation be known throughout the community, throughout mid-Michigan, hey, let's say the whole world, as the congregation that casts stones of sins, the sins committed against us and the sins that we commit, into the depths of the sea, into the depths of God's unfailing love. May rock-removing business be our trademark at GLC. To him be all glory and honor and praise. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.